Hey everyone, welcome to Fellowship Greenville. We hope you had a fantastic Christmas season followed by a New Year's Eve. And we hope you're uh, enjoying worshiping God from your homes on this very special Sunday morning service, uh, which we're doing on New Year's Day. My name is Matt Dinsky. I serve here at Fellowship Greenville as one of the pastors, and it is my joy to be with you in the new year on 2023. Um, first question I have for you as we begin this morning's service is, have you ever gone back and forth on something before? Or maybe you've experienced someone in your life going back and forth with you. When I was uh, younger and dating my now wife, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary this past October, but when we were dating, especially in those early months, it was a very confusing season for me. I was very much interested in her, and it seemed like sometimes when we would go out on dates, she reciprocated that emotion and seemed to be very warm and receptive with her affection. And then the very next date, it was like the complete opposite. It seemed cold and stale and she seemed distant. And I was very confused. I, I did not understand the emotions going back and forth and how sometimes it seemed like she was in and other times it seemed like she was out. And eventually after a few months, this led to a very pivotal conversation in our relationship where I put it all on the table and was very clear about how I felt and invited her to do the same. This definitive moment it was like, here's how I feel. I'm in, where are you at? I need to know. And that was the moment that really redefined the trajectory of our relationship. And, and from that moment on, she realized what my intentions were and, and some of her trust things were lowered and, and we were able to pursue a really beautiful relationship together. And it worked out because we're married with three beautiful children. So yeah, praise God and amen. But have you ever gone back and forth before? You know, for this New Year's message, I was praying and thinking about how to launch 2023. And this is a unique message because it's not tucked into a series somewhere. We're pausing on our study of the book of James. It's just a standalone. And I was praying to God, asking God, what can I give our people that would be encouraging and challenging and point them to you in the new year of 2023? And I know in the new year, it marks a significant time where a lot of people set goals and kind of redefine some things and, and kind of do some self-evaluation. And I thought, man, this might be a really beautiful message for a very specific time in our faith. And so I thought it would be cool to journey along and observe the life of a very well-known disciple of Jesus, maybe the, the best-known disciple of Jesus, which is Peter. You always hear Peter talked about and taught on and and people always used to seem, used, uh, seem to use him in sermons and, and examples and things like that. Most people who have been in Christian circles for any length of time know who Peter is. But most of us, as we understand the journey of Peter's faith, maybe we don't understand the entire story. Because I, I think a lot of us are under the impression that Jesus came along, met Peter, and was like, hey, Peter, I want you to be my disciple. And Peter was just like in from moment one, day one. And actually, that's not accurate. In fact, for Peter and his journey of faith, there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of hot and cold. There was a lot of I'm in, but I'm not sure I'm in. And Peter seemed to seesaw between two different realities, the life that Jesus was calling him into and the life that he had established on his own. And I think by studying the life and journey of Peter from a bird's eye view, not zoomed in to one passage, but we're gonna actually navigate from beginning to end 
the life and, and faith journey of Peter, I think we can begin to see and learn and identify where our own journey is at with Jesus. So we're going to be covering a lot of scripture today. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. This is kind of a unique approach to a message. So bear with me, get your Bibles handy, get them ready right there in your living rooms or wherever you're worshiping from. And I think we're going to be encouraged this morning as we look at the life of Peter. So the first interaction that Jesus has with Peter, you, you know that the gospels are complementary towards one another. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are complementary, but they're not necessarily chronological with one another. And so in order to do this timeline accurately, we're going to have to jump around to different gospels. So the first interaction that we see Jesus have with Peter is actually because of his brother Andrew. If you turn in your Bible to John chapter 1, verses 34, or 35 through 42, Andrew has been introduced to Jesus and is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, a little bit of context here, because there's two defining factors uh, that contribute towards the Jewish worldview that Peter is growing up in. The first thing that defines his worldview is that Peter would have grown up in a very heavily steeped, uh, the, the literacy was very rich, his understanding of Jewish scriptures, his understanding of Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all of those things would have been very, very thorough. And so Peter grew up like other young Jewish boys in that culture with a high understanding of Jewish scriptures. And that means he would have understood what Messiah means or who Messiah was supposed to be. It defined his worldview. And all throughout the Jewish scriptures, we call it the Old Testament, but there are prophecies and prophecies and writings and different things that are talking about the one who is coming, God's chosen person who is coming. And so Peter knew who Messiah was, but here's the the, the challenge, and this is the other defining factor of his worldview, they have been waiting for hundreds of years on this Messiah. In fact, from the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, until the, the time of Jesus' coming in the New Testament, there has been 400 years of silence. God has not spoken through a prophet for 400 years. That is longer than the United States is old. So you can imagine growing up and hearing stories about Messiah, but then realizing, wait a minute, he hasn't come yet? And it's been how many generations have waited on him? And so perhaps Peter would have believed in Messiah as a good young Jewish man, but there might be a hint of folklore to that belief, almost, almost kind of this skepticism of like, really, the Messiah has come like in our time, in our generation, of all the generations that have ever waited on him, it's ours. And so you can imagine his posture towards his brother Andrew. When Andrew comes and says, he's here, is Messiah, I met him. You met the one that the entire Old Testament points towards. You met the one that we've been waiting on for hundreds of years. He's walking among us. There was no big announcement. No one even knows. How, how did you meet him? Where did you meet him? So you can kind of sense maybe Peter's skepticism. But Peter goes to meet this Messiah because of his brother Andrew's promptings. And this is a very, very bizarre interaction. Even today, we would say, this is so weird. I'm just going to read this, this one part here. but. When Peter goes to meet Jesus, 
verse 42 of John chapter one, the Bible says that he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, you know, sometimes we read the Bible so much, we, we, we kind of remove emotion or we kind of remove like what it must have been like to be in that moment. But put yourself in Peter's shoes. This is a little awkward. So imagine that you go to meet someone for the first time and you hold out your hand and you introduce yourself. In Peter's case, he says, hello, I'm, I'm Simon. And Jesus doesn't respond with like, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one. No, he doesn't respond that way. He doesn't respond with scripture. He looks at Simon and he says, Simon, hmm, no, you're a Peter. You're a Peter. From here on out, that's what I'm calling you. And it's like, well, that's such a weird interaction. And it might be less weird if there was some sort of follow-up, but there's not. Literally, this is the meeting. Peter's first meeting with Jesus. He goes and introduces himself. Jesus renames him, and that's it. And it just kind of leaves Peter in this no man's land of what was that? What, what did that even mean? Andrew, why do you think he's Messiah? What convinced you that this is the promised one? He hasn't fulfilled any prophecy. Like, how do you know? He just renamed me. This, is, this guy's weird. And so Peter begins his journey of faith, and the first chapter of his faith is what I will call just simply confused. Peter begins his journey by being confused. Admittedly, this is confusing. It's like, wait, why did Jesus do it that? Why did he just rename him? And he just left him hanging there? Like, what's going on? Even for us today, it's like, we, we got the whole story, and that still seems a little bit strange. So Peter's confused. He might have gone home and just scratched his head a little bit and thought about it. Jesus, what, are you, what was that? God, what, what, what's going on? Is that really the Messiah? What did that mean? Why did he rename me? Why did he call me Peter? Why did he call me Rock? I, I, I don't, what is that? And maybe just wandering in the midst of confusion. You know, when I first started my own faith journey, I was 15 years old and I thought I had life figured out. I had an established worldview, but if, if I'm honest, when, when God began to draw me to himself, a lot of my realities became confusing. The things that used to satisfy me did not, did not satisfy me any longer. I began to have questions about faith and, and life after death and, and who is God really, and, and a lot of things just didn't make sense, and I didn't know where to search for the answers, and I didn't know how to get clarity on these things, and, and I, I found myself in a reality where my world had kind of been stirred up, and I was left in confusion, but it's that confusion that continued to fuel a hunger in me to seek out truth, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe in your own faith journey, you can identify a season of life where God just kind of stirred things up and left you confused and asking questions, and what did that mean, and I don't have answers yet, but I'm here and I'm listening, and please help me, and maybe you're there now. Maybe you're not quite sure where you're at in your faith. You're confused about a lot of things, and that's okay. It's part of the journey, and Peter was certainly there. He's confused. Well, a little bit of time goes by, and then we, we bump into our next encounter with Jesus and Peter, and this is kind of the one you would expect. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, and in Matthew 4, this is what 
you kind of imagine. This is what you've heard. This is the story you've heard. And in this account, Peter is fishing. He's a professional fisherman. That's his vocation. He is fishing. And Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. And he looks and he sees Peter casting his net. And Jesus, in that moment, gives him a formal invitation. Follow me. And what's amazing, if you read this passage of Scripture, is that Jesus invites Peter to follow him, and immediately Peter follows him. Peter drops his nets. Peter drops everything, and they begin to follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. They left their nets, and they followed him. And this is kind of the story you'd expect, like, oh, but that's not how it began. Remember, it began with the renaming and just leaving him in confusion. But now Jesus says, hey, follow me. And this was customary to follow a rabbi in first century Israel. And Jesus is inviting a disciple, follow me, follow the rabbi, let me teach you. And amazingly, Peter lets go of everything and follows him. Now you may conclude right here that, okay, from here on out though, Peter's in, Peter's committed from here on out. I'm not so sure. In fact, I think Peter's faith just evolved from confused to curious. You may have expected that right now he'd be like all in, full heart, committed. I think Peter's actually curious. I think that he's still trying to figure out who this Jesus character is. He's heard some things, but he's not quite convinced yet. He's gotten the invitation to follow, and he does, but I don't know if he's all in. And the reason that I'm not sure he's all in is actually because of our next encounter with Jesus. So if you go to Luke chapter five, go to Luke chapter five, verses one through 11. This is a different account. On this one, if you read through Luke chapter five, verses one through 11, you will hear a very similar story to the one we just read in Matthew chapter four. And upon first glance, it even seems like the same story, just in a different gospel. Luke adds some details or records it differently than Matthew did. But again, I think that this is actually the third interaction Peter has with Jesus. If you read through the story, in Matthew chapter four, Jesus sees Peter and some of the others casting their nets. In Luke chapter five, Jesus is observing them cleaning their nets. So they've already done the fishing, they're done. In Matthew chapter four, there is a very formal follow me. In Luke chapter five, there is no invitation to follow Jesus. The wording is different, the language is different. The timing of events is different. In fact, in Luke chapter five, Peter seems to know who Jesus is. He uses words like master and Lord. And so there seems to be some familiarity with Jesus, even seeing him as an authority figure in his life, which could only come if he had followed him for some time and seen him maybe as his rabbi, his teacher. And so what we see in Luke chapter five is that Peter is fishing again. He's gone back to fishing. He's no longer following Jesus which is very interesting because Jesus in Matthew four said, follow me, Peter drops everything, follows him. And then in Luke chapter five, he's back fishing. You know, scholars believe that about four months have passed between Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter five. So what happened in those four months? Perhaps Peter followed Jesus and Jesus just wasn't the Messiah Peter was hoping for. 
Maybe he had his own ideas of what Messiah would be. We certainly know from the Gospels that a lot of the disciples expected a military leader, a conquering king, and there wasn't much of a category for suffering servant. They thought it was a military revolution against Rome, and Jesus is launching a spiritual revolution against darkness and the enemy, our spiritual enemy, the devil. They just didn't have categories for those things. And so maybe Peter was let down. Jesus just wasn't quite the Messiah he was hoping for. He was kind of disappointed or maybe not satisfied fully. And for whatever reason, he goes back to his old life. He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing. That's where he's made a name for himself. That's where he's invested his time and energy and talents. That's the life he's built. And that's where he returns when he's disappointed in following Jesus. Now, maybe you know this story, but this is one of the first huge public miracles that Jesus does. And Jesus asks them, hey, did you catch anything last night? And they're like, no, we didn't catch a thing. We fished all night through the night. We caught nothing. Jesus says, put your nets down on the other side of the boat into the deep water. Peter says, master, we've done this all night caught nothing but at your word we'll do it and they did it and enclosed a large number of fish their nets were breaking they signaled to the partners in the other boats to come help them they filled both the boats so much so that the boats began to sink when Peter saw this he fell down at Jesus' knees interesting little note there he didn't fall at Jesus' feet I don't know if you caught that he fell at his knees why his knees that's kind of strange Probably because the boats were so full of fish, Peter can't kneel properly. He's at his knee level, kneeling on fish, blown away by the miracle that just happened. And in Peter's mind, something clicks. This really is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. I can't believe I missed it. And he feels such remorse. He says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Because he followed for four months or so and then left. He he was disappointed. And, And I think Peter is feeling the shame of, I, I tried you out and I didn't find you fulfilling, but, but now I see who you really are. Depart from me, I'm sinful, oh Lord. All who were with him were astonished at the catch. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And Jesus said to, now look at this, this is really interesting. At the very end of the passage here, in, at the tail end of verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. Jesus says to Simon. That's interesting. Why not Peter? Didn't Jesus rename him Peter? Doesn't he go by Peter now? And yet Jesus in Luke chapter 5 says, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. In other words, I haven't forgotten the thing I called you into. It's not fishing this. It's fishing for men. Don't fear me. I'm here because I love you. Simon, I want you back. In other words, And one of the things that you'll begin to notice as you read through the journey of Peter is that he's kind of on a seesaw of sorts. He's torn between following Jesus and going back to his old life, embracing the name Jesus has given him as Peter and embracing the name he's built for himself as Simon. Stepping into God's will and fishing for men or remaining in the life he's built and fishing for fish. And what's interesting is in the life and journey of Peter, pay attention because every time he goes back to fishing, he's referred to as Simon. It's really unique. 
But when he's all in for Jesus, he's referred to as Peter. It's like his identities are at war with themselves. Can you relate to that? Do you still find yourself going back to an old lifestyle, hanging on desperately to something you just can't quite let go of yet, and maybe you're disappointed in some aspects of following Jesus, and and you go there for comfort, and that's what you know, and that's what you're familiar with, and, and I would just encourage you with the words of Jesus, don't be afraid, but this is not what I've called you into. I've given you a new name, a new identity. I have different plans for you. Now after this, after this interaction with Jesus, They left everything and followed him. And here's where Peter's faith gets to what we kind of assumed it always was, but here's where it becomes committed. It moved from confused to curious, and now Peter is just committed. He is all in. And if you read the Gospels from here on out, he is zealous. Peter kind of makes a name for himself as being the most outspoken of the disciples. He always kind of speaks first and sometimes gets himself in trouble when he does that, but he's got tons of courage and tons of faith. And and this is the Peter who answered correctly when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the chosen one, you're Messiah. It was Peter who had the faith in the midst of the storm when the disciples were wrecked and at the end of themselves and thought it was a ghost out on the water. It was Peter who had the faith to step out of the boat and walk on water with his eyes on Jesus. It was Peter who told Jesus that I would die for you if needed. It's Peter who who after this point in Luke 5 became so committed And obviously Jesus had big plans for Peter. As Jesus would talk often with him about the kingdom of heaven and and building the church upon the foundation of Jesus and using Peter in significant ways to do so. Peter was committed. He made these claims, I would die for you. Now what's interesting is, again, Peter growing up, understanding this concept of Messiah, but maybe starting to include cultural applications of what Jesus was supposed to be like, Peter was expecting a militant ruler, military leader to overthrow Rome. Towards the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's in John chapter 18. Peter, sensing the revolution slipping away through his fingers like sand, tries to control the situation and resorts to violence. You may know the story, but he he unsheathes a sword that he probably had hidden, and he lunges at one of the Roman guards who have come to arrest Jesus, and he ends up chopping an ear off. Jesus restores the guard's ear and rebukes Peter, and this is not the way, and Jesus willingly gives himself over to the Roman soldiers who have come to arrest him. And the disciples scatter in fear. They see their revolution crumbling and slipping away. Now Peter follows closely behind, but he's fearful. He wants to know what's going to happen, but he's fearful. And so he doesn't make it obvious. And so in in John chapter 18, in verse 15 through 18, and verse 25 through 27, we have these, these accounts of Peter is standing there and He's kind of eavesdropping in on what's going on with Jesus. And it's nighttime, it's late, there's a a chill in the air, and there's this interesting note that the Bible includes in John 18, verse 18. It says, now the servants and officers had a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing warming themselves. 
And Peter was also there warming himself, standing by a charcoal fire. Now fires have distinct smells, but a charcoal fire has an even more distinct smell. And Peter's there by a charcoal fire warming himself while this trial of Jesus is going on. And he's asked in this moment by this young servant girl, hey, do you know this man? Aren't you associated with him? At all the social pressure of a teenage girl, Peter's faith crumbles. All those claims of knowing who Jesus is and being all in and being ready to die for, for the cause, all of those claims come crashing down when a little girl says, don't you know him? And Peter in that moment says, no, I don't. Peter's asked again, do you know that man? Verse 25, still warming himself by the fire. Don't you know him? And he denied it. He's asked again, don't you know him? And Peter denies it again. In the midst of the denials, he even swears, saying, I don't know him. And that's not like a, a cuss word like we think about. He's, he's taking an oath. It's like, I, I swear by the living God that I don't know that man. Can you imagine the extremes of Peter's words telling Jesus, I would die for you. And now he's saying, as God lives, I don't even know him. Luke's account of this is, is very forceful. In Luke chapter 22, verse 61, it says that when Peter denies Jesus a third time, the, the rooster crows, which Jesus told Peter that would happen. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, the third denial, Peter looks up, and in that moment, Jesus is being escorted out, and they lock eyes. Can you imagine that moment? where Peter has denied Jesus outright, even taking an oath to say, I don't know him. And in that moment, here's the rooster crow and looks over and Jesus is standing there looking back. Imagine the emotions stirring in Peter. How do you imagine Jesus's face in that moment? What do you imagine his expression to be in that moment? Is he angry? Is he heartbroken? Is he smug, kind of like, I knew this would happen? How do you imagine that expression? Because the way you answer that would be very reflective of how you imagine God dealing with you in the midst of your sin. Peter is wrapped up in shame. He runs away, he weeps bitterly into the night. All hope is lost. The revolution has failed. His faith has failed. He doesn't know what to do. And Jesus is crucified, murdered on a cross. That's not where the story ends because Jesus comes back through the power of God. He's brought back from the grave and he conquered sin and death. And after his resurrection, Jesus begins to make some appearances with his disciples. And in one of these appearances, and this is where I really want us to focus in, is John chapter 21. In one of these appearances, Jesus makes himself known to his disciples in a, in a really unique way. In this instance, the disciples are fishing. Go figure. Peter has returned to what he knew. The revolution is lost. I guess I'll go back to what I know. Peter's gone back to his old life. He's fishing. 
Verse four, John 21, verse four. As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples didn't know it was Jesus. And he said, hey, have you caught any fish? And they said, nothing. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Does this remind you of anything? This is Luke chapter five. Jesus is recreating the moment when he's pulled Peter back into his calling. Remember in Matthew four, Peter started following and then drifted away. In Luke five, Jesus pulls him back in. How does he do it? By, by meeting him in the context of fishing. Here's John chapter 21, Peter has drifted away. How does Jesus pull him back in? In the context of fishing. He meets Peter in the midst of his old life. He says, hey, cast on the other side. It's exactly what happened in Luke chapter five. They did it, and then they started catching unbelievable numbers of fish. They couldn't even haul it in. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard about this, he jumps out the boat, he swims towards land. So Jesus is recreating Peter's invitation or Peter's restoration in Luke chapter five. But that's not all that Jesus is recreating in this moment, because look at verse nine. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it in bread. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Where did Peter deny Jesus? Around a charcoal fire. Now maybe I'm wrong, and if I am, feel free to email me, but I can't recall a single other time in scripture that specifies that Jesus has made a fire. Like John wants us to gather these details, to put something together, to connect the dots. And of all the five senses, scent, smell, is the strongest one linked to memory. That's why you can smell random things and like go back to your childhood, or go back to certain places you visited. Smell links to memory, and Jesus is recreating the smell and, and context of a charcoal fire. Why? Because Jesus wants to pull Peter back into the night he denied him. Not to shame him, but to heal him. Sometimes we have to revisit our pain in order to actually heal from it. Jesus invites Peter around this charcoal fire. They begin to eat. Starting in verse 15, seems to get real intimate. Seems like this is just a personal conversation going on, but when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, notice the name. He does not say, hey Peter, let me ask you a question. It's kind of like Jesus saying, all right dude, all right. You wanna keep going back to fishing? Let me call you by your fisherman's name. Simon, let me ask you a question. Why would Jesus do that and not call him Peter, the name that Jesus gave him? Jesus is playing into this life and identity that Simon keeps desperately trying to go back to. And so Jesus addresses that. Simon, let me ask you a question. Do you love me more than these? There's a lot of debate on what these mean. A lot of scholars land on these probably means the fish that they just caught. And I, I would tend to agree with that. I, I think Jesus is saying, you keep coming back to this life. You said you love me. You said you'll follow me. Do you really love me more than these? Do you really love me more than this life? Look at how Peter answers. He says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you, yes. And Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, third time. How many denials were there? 
three. How many prompts is Jesus giving Peter? Three. Jesus is healing each denial with a confession of love. Again, it's not to shame Peter, it's to heal Peter. Jesus says a third time, do you love me? And at this point, Peter's getting hurt. Look how he responds. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And the Bible says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. So Peter's sad. He's like, Jesus, how many times are we going to go through this? Yes, I love you. In fact, Peter says, you know everything. You already know the answer to this. I love you. And Jesus responds, as he has in the other two times, with a calling to take care of my sheep or feed my sheep. Now, Peter's response, Lord, you know all things, would indicate that, that Jesus, post-resurrection, has some sense of divine glory, or at the very least, that Jesus already knows the answer he's asking for. So if that's true, if Jesus knows the answer that he's asking the question towards, then why would he ask the question? If Jesus knows the answer, why would he ask the question? It's not so that Jesus can hear the answer. I think Jesus is asking Peter the same question over and over and over, knowing the answer already, not so that he can hear it, but so that Peter can hear himself say it. There is power in a verbal confession. There is power when you say something out loud. Jesus is inviting this very intimate moment with Peter. Do you love me? I don't just want you to think it up here. I don't just want you to believe it right. I want you to say this out loud because sometimes when we say things out loud, it enhances or amplifies or concretes our commitment all the more. I think Jesus is inviting this moment to say, Peter, you need to hear yourself say this. You are so wrapped up in shame. You are so wrapped up in guilt. You, you have tripped yourself up with judgment. The way that you perceive maybe the Father's love or my love towards you is inaccurate. I want you to know that we love you. We still have a plan for you. Do you still love me? And he invites us three times because I think Jesus knows Peter needs to, to unearth these things in his heart and his chest and, and get them to the surface and confess verbally his love. This is a healing moment. I think Jesus also knows that later in your life, you're gonna have to fall back on this moment because Jesus concludes this passage by actually prophesying about how Peter will one day die. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself, you, you walked wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And church history tells us that Peter was crucified like Jesus, but he, he didn't want to be crucified exactly like Jesus because he had such reverence for his Lord, so he has to be crucified upside down. And Jesus here is prophesying, one day you're, you're going to die for this. Now, Peter, thus far you've shown me you're kind of back and forth. You're, you're kind of in and not in. Sometimes you're Peter, sometimes you're Simon. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I think Jesus knew there's going to be days in your life where you're going to have to come back to this moment and remember. 
No, 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 I do love him. I said it out loud. I'm never going back to Simon. I'm never gonna be a fisherman again. I am fishing for men. I'm about kingdom business. I'm all in, I'm committed. I think Jesus is establishing Peter for the rest of his life. In other words, I think Jesus is restoring Peter. In this moment, Jesus restores Peter. He meets him where he's at. Peter's gone back to being Simon in his old life. Jesus shows up. Jesus tenderly and graciously and with all compassion invites him to sit down and break bread. Jesus asks him three times about love to negate the three denials, to heal him of, of the shame of those three denials. And, and each time as Peter is saying these things out loud, it is only solidifying his own commitment to Jesus. I think Jesus in this moment is restoring Peter. I think sometimes in our life, you know, we move from confused to curious to committed, but then if we're really honest, sometimes we waver, sometimes we doubt, we ask questions, we don't feel God, we're not in, we go back to old habits, old patterns, we don't confess those to anyone, we're, we're riddled with shame, we're torn up, we put on a good mask, we come to church and play the game, and sometimes we just have so many questions. Could God actually forgive me? Would he want me back? Has he given up on me? Does he still love me? And I think God, would meet us in those moments, remind us of his love for us, heal our shame, invite you to confess your love for him. But look at this, look at this. How does this passage end? And after saying this to Peter, Jesus says, now follow me. The invitation seen all the way back in Matthew chapter four was never lost on Peter. No matter how many times he went back to being Simon, no matter how many times he went back to his old life, no matter how much he wavered, the denials, swearing by God that he doesn't even know this, none of that was lost. His calling to follow Jesus was never lost. If anything, Jesus pursued him all the more. So friends, we just turned a corner, 2023. And I know many of us are struggling in our faith and maybe are wavering or going back and forth or maybe the holiday season has brought back some bad habits or old habits and we've returned to some things that are destructive and hurtful and painful. Can I encourage you and remind you that the love of God is patient and persistent. The calling of God is not erased because of our mistakes. And the restoration of Jesus is constantly at hand where he reminds us not only of the invitation he's given us, but he invites us into moments of confession, confession of sin, but also confession of our love and adoration of him. In this new year, as we jump back in, would you take some moments to maybe posture yourself before God, maybe sit down with Jesus and just have a conversation and allow the spirit to stir your heart and prompt responses. And maybe, just maybe, would you declare out loud your love for Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, I pray a blessing over every family watching this. Bless their new year. Would you guide their steps in 2023? Father, right now, above all else, I pray specifically that you would remind them of your love for them, invite them into moments of confession so that their love for you can be verbalized. Father, would you heal shame would you convict sin? Would you meet us where we're at? Would you pull us out of the depths of our habits and give us new life, new calling, new purpose in you? We ask these things, Father, in the name of Jesus, the most powerful name, amen.
God bless.